to the book of Exodus chapter 20, considering this morning the ninth commandment which we have in verse 16 there. Exodus 20 verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. I'd just like also to read a couple of the verses in the chapter which we read earlier in John 18. Towards the end of that chapter, Pilate said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? I suppose this is one of the most famous recorded conversations of the Lord Jesus Christ. This conversation that he had with Pontius Pilate as he approached his crucifixion. Pilate asked him, are you a king then? And Jesus says, you're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. For this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth, listen to me. And then we have Pilate's famous reply, or reaction to what Jesus says. Pilate simply says, what is truth? What is truth? I wonder how Pilate asked this. I wonder if he was really serious. I wonder if he really wanted to know what truth was. Or did he say this, did he ask this, like modern man, with a shrug of his shoulders, as if he were saying, can there be any such thing as truth anyway? Was he like a modern man, giving up, any idea that there might be the possibility of truth or knowing what truth was. What, anyway, is truth? What is truth? What do you think this morning? Is there truth with a capital T? Well, whatever we think of that, Jesus certainly believed that there was truth with a capital T. And if you and I are his followers, then we hear him as he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we realize when we hear Jesus speak that yes, there is truth because he is the embodiment of truth because what he has said is truth. And if our standards are his standards, or if they approach his standards, then truth figures largely with us. What is truth? This is a vital question for you and for me for today. It is of course the challenge of the gospel message. Because the message of the Bible, the message of the Gospel, is true. 
This is where truth is found. It is found in Jesus. Everyone who is of the truth, he says here in John 18, everyone who is of the truth listens to me or hears my voice. And friends, it's important to realize that the Christian faith is true. Perhaps it's obvious to us, but we need to remind ourselves that the Christian faith is true. It is bound up with the truth, and you believe it fundamentally because it is true. Jesus hasn't lied to us. God isn't deceiving us in any way whatsoever. It isn't part true. It isn't half true. It is all true. As Jesus himself taught, thy word is true. It is true from beginning to end. And if you want to know what is true for the world, and if you want to know what is true for yourself, and if you want to know what is true for the world to come, this is where you find it. In this world. In his word. The Christian message, however people may shrug it off, with indifference, with sad skepticism, the Christian message, only in all that is in the world, is spoken truth. Well, this morning I'd like us to reflect on this ninth commandment. And this commandment is to do with truth. This is why I was reading in John 18 there. It is to do with truth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is saying, you shall not lie. You shall not make defamatory statements. You shall not misrepresent or deceive. Why? Because your fellow men won't like it? Well, certainly that's true too. But first and foremost, because God does not lie. Because God cannot lie. Because lying untruth is out of accord with the God who is truth and to whom we are answerable. Every one of us. Because lying is of the devil. Because he is the one who is the father of lies. So this morning let us think of this commandment for a little. And I'd like us to think of two things, if you like, the negative side and the positive side. I'd like us to see, first of all, the lying that is forbidden, and then to look at the truth, or the truthfulness which is required. So it is, first of all, the lying forbidden. Now I don't suppose I need to say uh, to, to, to you folks, that we're living in an age in which telling lies is quite widespread. Indeed, we might even say that it has a respectable reputation. We have statements that come from politicians, and they use the term being economical with the truth, which is another way of saying that we're not telling something that is quite straight. Claims are made by advertisers we see tremendous claims made through advertisements on the television and through the billboards also. 
It is almost true, isn't it, what's been said as being basic of communism, that if your lives are big enough, people will believe them. It's true. We're living in this sort of age, aren't we? In the courts also, perhaps it's being a bit cynical. The truth seems to be twisted. Eyewitnesses are confused. False witnesses sometimes prevail. But the Bible ultimately forbids all forms of lying. Do we need to be convinced? It's like the question of stealing, really. We all know what it is. We all know that it's wrong. We all know that it's wrong to tell lies. And yet we have to be aware of how influenced that we can be by the prevailing standards of our own day, of our own generation. More than we think. Let me put it this way. Honestly, do you always tell the truth? The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. Have you ever exaggerated? Have you changed the details of story, of a story, or an incident? Have you ever said you couldn't go to work, or school, or you couldn't go to meetings because you were sick? Were you really so sick you couldn't go? Have you ever told something that was half true, or that was partly true? We have to say that if something is half true, then it is also half a lie. We must be honest about this, and we must be clear that a lie is against the God of holy truth. This is what is so wrong about lying. By definition, it isn't true. It isn't truth. And God is a God of truth who requires truth from his followers. The devil is the manufacturer of lies and of half-truth. And how can honesty and how can integrity coexist with lies? Well, the telling of lies, of half-truths, if you like, is sin. But so is the spreading of lies. The false witness is sin because it harms people. But maybe the folks would never dream of murder. It may be that folks would never dream outwardly of adultery or theft or even blatant telling of lies. But what about false witness? You see, we must push these commandments and their implications out. What about putting people in a bad light of gossiping, of tale-bearing, of spreading rumors and tales? Have we never done this? What this commandment, you see, makes clear is this, that we have to be meticulously honest, that we have to be meticulously careful about the reputation of other people. Perhaps it's opposite to say at this point, that in a strange way, this can apply even to truthful statements. For instance, when one's conversation is negative, about others. It may not be, strictly speaking, 
untruthful, but it may be insensitive, or it may be negative. For example, about Christians, or about the church. And I think there is scarcely anything more damaging to a Christian fellowship and to a church than negative talk. And it just seems to be so much easier for us to talk and to disapprove and to spread innuendo than to remain open faith and to remain honest and sincere. Yes, concern too, but positive, whilst at the same time not in the least condoning sin. We must be aware like a plague of half-truths, of silent shrugs, of a nod which gives feeling approval to something, flattery, insincere praise, and so on. All these things come into the realm of the forbidden in this commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. No telling lies. No spreading lies. But also, I would say, no living alive. John puts it uh, this way in his first letter. I think this is one of the most important implications of this commandment. And he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, in other words, if we say that we are Christian and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And I say this is the most important of the implications of this commandment on the negative side. This really has to do with our standing before God. Lying now, it is a moral problem forbidden in the ninth commandment. But more serious is this, the sinner's self-deception that all is well with my soul. But it is not. And this, you see, is Satan's greatest lie, and I would suggest that it is his most successful lie in our own day. This lie that you can be a Christian without being born again, without being converted by the Holy Spirit of God. That you can be a Christian without living by the Word of God. That you can be a Christian without attendance at the means of grace. Or even that you can be a Christian by attendance at the means of grace. And the truth of God has been exchanged for the lie, as Paul tells us. And the creature is worshipped instead more than the Creator who is blessed forever. What havoc has been caused by this sort of lie that the Word of God is not entirely to be followed, is not entirely to be believed, is not entirely to be trusted. And so, the command, you see, is this, the telling of lies, and the spreading of lies, and the living of a lie before God and men. But I'd like us to turn for a few moments to the positive requirement here, to the truthfulness required. Now, as we've said before in these morning services, these morning sermons on the commandments, we must do them full justice 
on the positive side. We not, in other words, catch them simply when we can say that we haven't done this or that. Wrong. In this case, with this commandment, the positive note is truth. It is truth. God expects his people and Jesus expects his followers to believe the truth and to speak the truth and to practice the truth. And that is a requirement of this commandment also. It is a requirement of honesty. It is a requirement of integrity. It is the call, live out the truth. Take the truth with you wherever you go. God's truth is entirely trustworthy. God's truth is true. Everything else is of sin. God's truth isn't half true. It isn't merely true. It isn't true just for some situations and not for others. It isn't true just for some societies and not for others. The truth of God expressed in the Holy Scripture is absolutely to be believed and to be received. It is true and it is true. Now, when you become a Christian, this is what happens. You come to see that God's word is truth. The blindness is taken away from your eyes. And what you didn't receive and understand before, you now come to see as being the truth of God. When you become a Christian, you come to believe in the one who is the truth incarnate. And you come to give your heart to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When you become a Christian, you come to live out your life, not by the standards of men, but, as the sta- but by the standards of God's holy truth. You come to see that God wants truth. He wants it not only in what we do outwardly, but he wants it as we sing in Psalm 51. He wants truth in the inward part. When you become a Christian, you say this, I want to know the truth. You say, I want to live by the truth. You say, I want to tell forth the truth. God has revealed himself. That is truth. Never a converted person will live perfectly by it. Never a converted person has a perfect knowledge or understanding of the truth or obedience to it. But the converted person, the Christian, brought to faith through the truth, will desire to be conformed more and more and more to the truth that is revealed there. And will pray more and more and more. But the Holy Spirit will take that truth and apply it to our hearts day by day. What if I may be practical for a moment? There are obviously some things which are essential if you and I are to live out the truth. If you and I are to speak the truth. 
Let me suggest a few. If we are to live out the truth, and if we are to speak forth the truth, obviously, first of all, we must believe it. We must sincerely believe it in our hearts. We must realize that we are answerable to the God of truth. We must realize that Jesus is the truth. A Christian believes what God has said. It is as simple as that. A Christian believes what God has said. The Christian is truthful because God said, Do not, uh, do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge uh, according to the image of him who created him. Do not lie to one another. Do you believe the truth? I mean, do you really believe it as the most vital thing in your belief, in your in your life? Do you believe it with sincerity? Can you say this morning that you really and truly are captive to the world, to the truth of the gospel? Has it captured, has it captivated, has it gripped your heart yet? That what we have here is the very truth of God by which we expect us to live. But then, not only believe the truth, but you are to speak what actually is, what is true. In other words, before things are passed on, before things are taken as true, they are checked to ensure that they really are true. And that they are fair and faithful. And then again, if we are captives to the truth, think, we have to think before we speak. Really this is what James is speaking about in his epistle when he speaks about the tongue and what tremendous damage the tongue can do. And the tongue so often does so much damage because there is not that thought beforehand of what is going out in our speech. Then, if we are to live out the truth, we are surely to speak up and not be silent that a wrong has been done. And isn't it true that there is too much silence in the face of a tremendous flood of sinfulness and perversion in our own day? And standards inevitably slip and slip and slip, but nobody is prepared to stand up and to speak for what is true, and to say, this is the truth, the truth of God. Else would our silence seem to express consent, approval. But then, finally, in all our concern for truth, we must remember, you must remember and features I can tell you more than any that God is first. That God is first. That is quite simple and obvious. He is the one that you and I 
ought to seek to please. Nothing really matters except that we please God ultimately. And what an impact that will have on our conversation, on our conduct, on our absolute truthfulness. When we realize that, that God is first. And that our concern, our consuming passion and desire is that He should be pleased with our conduct and with our conversation and with our utter truthfulness. But you see, in the end, there's only one way that any of us can come to believe and to speak the truth. And that is when you come to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so perhaps that is the greatest question of all. Do you yet have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Remember that it is Jesus Christ who is the truth and that it is he who liberates men and women, sinners, from serving their sins to turn to him and to please him in their lives. And the only worthwhile truth is the truth that we have in Jesus Christ, in the word of the living God. Just a word in conclusion. I just want to end really with a question. And that is, quite simple, have you faced the truth yet? Have you faced the truth yet about yourself? Have you come to see yet that you are a sinner in need of salvation? Perhaps that's the most important question that you can be asked. Have you come to see yourself, the truth about yourself, as a sinner before God? And if so, does it disturb you? It ought to. You need to know yourself. You need to know the truth about yourself as a lost sinner to see your need of Jesus as a sinner saved and as you stand before the cross, as we stand in face of the cross, you realize surely the truth that you're bad enough to have crucified the Lord of glory there upon the cross yourself. That is the truth about the human heart. That is the truth we need to admit. We need to confess. You know, the very moment you admit that, you confess that, the power of the lie is broken. The power of the lie that you're not so bad a sinner. The power of the lie that all will be well in the end, willingly. When you confess and repent and receive, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life and He takes over. He is the Spirit of truth. He was promised to lead into truth. He is the one who will lead you 
from darkness and from lying and all self-deceit to light and to truthfulness, then and only then will life be for you as God intended. Not perfect, but living by the truth. Oh, dear friends, there's something so important in this commandment. It is calling you, it is calling me, it is calling all of us to take the truth seriously, to take it as it is, to love the truth, and it is calling us to love the God who is true and who has revealed himself in this world. As we sing in the hundredth psalm, because the Lord our God is good, his mercy faileth never, and to all generations his truth endureth ever. And may the Lord bear home to our own hearts this morning his truth afresh and anew that our concern would be to go forth with that truth in our hearts and speak it and live it before God and before men. And may he bless these thoughts upon his word. Let us pray. O merciful and gracious God, our Father in heaven, we come before thee shamefaced because thy law, thy word, exposes our own sinfulness. And Lord, we pray that we may have grace to confess to thee, but we pray that we may have grace too to live out our lives according to thy truth that thy truth would be in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives, that we would take it with us wherever we go, and that we would live it out to thy praise and thy glory. Oh, do thou bless us this day, we pray thee, Lord. Take away from us all our sins. Cleanse us in the blood of Jesus. In his name we ask it, and for his sake. Amen. <laughs>